A joyous greeting to uh, you this new year. Gary Zabinski here with my jolly old co-host, Roscoe. How was Santa to you this year, Roscoe? I got a bag of coal and some switches. <laughs> you big liar. Thank you for asking. <laughs> you big liar. You actually were here for a uh, Christmas Eve dinner. I was here for Christmas Eve. And we... you were more than generous with bringing candy and uh, little gifts for everybody. Those were really uh, awfully did, nice. Did you eat all that candy yet? No. <laughs> no. You gave me a bag of cookies to take home. I did. And inexplicably, some salami, which did not require refrigeration. Right. Which was uh, mostly consumed yesterday while watching Ben-Hur and Turner <laughs> Classic Movies. <laughs> because yeah, the salami was, it was vacuum-packed. <laughs> It was vacuum-packed. I could. It was just on a shelf. Wait, and do you know how hard it is to order a pizza on Christmas Day in Chicago? Is that what you had for oh, Christmas they Day? They close. They close. A lot of. Can you of imagine they'd letting close. people off on Christmas Day and not forcing them to make pizzas? <laughs> so eventually, what's the world coming to? Eventually, after many phone, this was last night. This was not during the day. I don't want you to think I spent Christmas alone during the day. It was once I was home at night and I had a hankering for some pizza and I couldn't find one. So I finally found one from out of the neighborhood that wasn't very good. Welcome, listeners, to episode forty-nine of Booth One, uh, our final episode for 2016, though you'll likely be listening to this on or after January 1st. We have a bit of a show of lists today, Roscoe, just um, a fitting way to welcome the new year and reflect back on what has been an eventful 2016, to say the least. Are you happy that 2016 is behind us? I think so. I think a lot of people are. This has been a, a bad horrible year full of heartbreak and cruelty <laughs> except for the cubs winning the world series yes, it that. was it was all downhill after that a- a- and the fact that we got to see hamilton twice and we saw hamilton twice we got to see Barbara Cook. Oh, no, we didn't get to see Barbara Cook. Bar- poor Barbara Cook. Poor Barbara Cook. We saw Cheetah though. Saw Cheetah? Yeah. A lot of good theater. Speaking of Hamilton, we did just see the Chicago production of Hamilton. Now I want to ask you about your feelings on comparison between the Broadway show that we saw, what was it, back in April? Yes. And how it compares to this brand spanking new sit-down company here in Chicago. I was thrilled beyond belief the second time. Ding, 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 (laughs) ding. Yes, exactly. Say it again and don't use the word thrilling. Uh, I was overwhelmed beyond belief even my second time through. How about yourself? I would say the same thing. And I would also say that having already seen it, I could sort of relax because I knew what was going to happen. And and so that sense of being nervous that I wasn't going to be able to follow Mm -hmm. things or follow the plot, I still get a little lost when when it goes backwards for a little bit. Really? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not very bright, Gary, and I've been trying to. <laughs> I've been trying to hide that from you all of these years. But the staging is so beautifully done. You can't help but recognize that it's a. It's going backwards, and looking at it from a different point of view. I think uh, Thomas Cale's staging I, of that is just brilliant. I think I was daydreaming or looking, um, looking longingly at some spandex pants. So the first time you saw it, did you think, 
wait, the cast has screwed up. The we've, cast has we've, screwed we've up. heard these lines before. <laughs> they we've heard exactly this. They jumped a scene and now they're going back. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened. I've worked on shows where that has happened, where the cast has somehow lost track of where they were. And so they backtracked a ways into the scene because they couldn't get a running start at it. They, you know, you can't sometimes just pick up in the middle of something. Can you I t- forget where it was. It was oh. some sort of Neil Simon play that I was uh, stage managing somewhere. Wow. Yeah. I did that once. This is probably, I think it was on the road. I don't think yeah. it was on Broadway. This is probably why I'm tour. not an actor anymore, is I was once playing Peachum in Three Penny Opera, and boy, are those difficult songs. And I got lost, and I sang the, the last verse twice, much to the astonishment of the other people on stage who had to come in with me and wondered, <laughs> wondered why I just kept going with it. No, Ross, the song was supposed to be over, but, <laughs> but you, sing it one more time if you Did you just wish. keep singing Mac the Knife, Mac the Knife, Mac no, the Knife? No, no, it's, it's one of those horrible Peachum songs. Mm-hmm. Did you want me to answer my question about Hamilton? I do. Your question about Hamilton? I, of course. I thought it was just as exciting, I'm going to use the word exciting, Good. Uh, as when we saw it in New York, and of... of we got to sit this time, which is always an advantage. And we had... Where will be row L on the aisle? Row L, with 11 rows back, spectacular seats. Because of the, the height of that stage, you didn't want to be any closer. And even where we were in the 11th row, we couldn't see the floor of the stage. And no. There's a lot that happens with the lighting. And I'm so glad that we saw it from that sort of upwards angle in New York so that we could see the the staging patterns on the floor and, as you say, the lighting mm-hmm. on the floor. And I could imagine it as I was mm-hmm. watching the Chicago production. I, I felt that the performances to a person were uh, equally as quality as anything we saw in New York. I, I thought the Aaron Burr uh, actor was fantastic. They were all just wonderful. Yeah, it was just as good as the Broadway production. So no, you're not you're not missing anything if you see it on the road, as 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 you would have forty years ago when instead of seeing Robert Preston and the Music Man, you were forced to endure Forrest Tucker, <laughs> 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 which is an illusion that only only people over the age of fifty will get. But well, it's one of the one of the great things to be grateful for from 2016 is is our great good fortune to have seen Hamilton twice and enjoyed it immensely both times. And what, what's been fun for me with Hamilton as well is people that I work with, younger people that I work with, this is, this is the, the thing to do. People who are not that interested in theater or only occasionally go, this, this has been a cultural phenomenon. Everyone in America knows about Hamilton. They they certainly do, and and many of them frequently know all the songs. I was with my uh, nephews yesterday for Christmas, and uh, uh, one of them got a Hamilton stocking cap. <laughs> really? <laughs> he walked up to me. He said, "Look what I got!" And I said, "What's your name?" And he said, "Alexander <laughs> Hamilton." <laughs> Just you wait, just you wait. (laughs) Wow. So we started reciting the score. It's amazing how infectious that score can become. I I can recite so many of those lyrics now. Are you finding that you can um, repeat songs? Not yet. I also broke my CD player a month ago, Mm. several months ago. Well, why didn't you have that on your Christmas list? I don't know. Instead, I gave you freeze-dried salami. When it could have been a CD player, damn it. (laughs) Next time. Here's the first of our lists, and I I wanted to particularly point this out because it is uh, President Obama's final awarding of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um. I'm just going to read through these names. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, famous basketball legend. 
Ellen DeGeneres, Robert De Niro, Bill and Melinda Gates. Wow. Because, like, they need the recognition. (laughs) (laughs) Frank Geary, who designed the very famous uh, Millennium Park Pavilion, among many other things. Tom Hanks. Uh, Michael Jordan. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Wow. Lauren Michaels. Mm. Producer, longtime producer of Saturday Night Live. Uh, our friend Newt Minow, who is an attorney with a long and distinguished career in public life. He, uh, he lives here in, in Chicago. And in, well, I think it was 61, President Kennedy selected uh, Newt, then only 34 years old, to serve as chairman of the Federal Communications Committee, where he helped Commission. shape the future of. Commission. Ma- yeah where he helped to shape the future of American television and was a a vigorous advocate for broadcasting that promoted the uh, public interest. Other people on the list, Robert Redford, uh, Diana Ross, (gasps) she deserves it, Vin Scully, famous uh, sportscaster, um, known for his many, many years with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, Bruce Springsteen, and someone we've talked about on the show before, Cicely Tyson. Really? That's quite the list, don't you think? Hey, what do you know about this shuffle-along lawsuit? Oh, I know something about it. Audra McDonald. You know, she had to leave the show because she got pregnant. The producers had, of course, insured the show, as you do, for loss, uh, with Lloyds of London. And they are asking to be compensated for more than $12 million in damages. Uh, The production closed in July when... uh, Audra McDonald, who uh, was, was 45 then, became pregnant, and the producers decided they could not continue once she went on maternity leave. So now there's this lawsuit that says the associated medical conditions were neither an accident nor an illness, which were the criteria for the insurance to be paying off, you know, if there was an act of God accident or, or something like that, or a star comes down ill and they're saying that being pregnant is not coming down ill or accidental. Have you read anything about this? Well, I did. And one of the things was that Audrey McDonald is 46 years old. And one of the things that she said at some point is, I didn't think I was still of childbearing age. So I th- this was not a planned pregnancy on her part. I'm sure she, when she went into rehearsals, she didn't know she was pregnant. And, and I think we should point out that show was one of the most eagerly awaited shows of the Broadway season. The reviews were... Somewhat mixed, but the people who loved the show loved the show. Yeah. And then it closed prematurely because once she couldn't be in it, no one wanted to see it without Audrey McDonald. No, and, and you know, she, she's a six-time Tony winner. Um, lead producer uh, Scott Rudin has said that from their perspective, um, Shuffle Along bought an insurance policy to cover it in the event that Miss McDonald was unable to perform, and she was unable to perform. And Lloyds of London is saying, oh, no, 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 no. Accident or illness are the only reasons that uh, we have to pay off on this insurance policy. So this is, I think this is rather a bit groundbreaking. They bought $14 million in insurance to cover damages incurred in the event that Miss McDonald was unable to perform because, as I said, accident or illness. Uh, and they asked Lloyds to uh, cover losses uh, prompted not only by the show's closing, but also by earlier health issues affecting Miss McDonald. She missed some performances early on. Oh, right. Something. She had bronchial issues, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, and I will also say this. I have one little anecdote to throw in here. My dear friend Brian saw the shows shortly before she left, 
He loved the show, thought it was a brilliant show that, that the critics who didn't like it d didn't understand what it was that they were seeing. But he said it was awfully nerve-wracking to watch a woman who was large with child energetically tap dancing. He just said, I just can't believe that's a good thing for her to be well, doing and, at this point in her pregnancy. You know, and that's why, she, that's why she left the show at, that, at the time that she did. But she was four or five or six months pregnant by yeah. the time she left the show. I mean, that's, yeah. Can I also mention something else? Can I go back to your first list really quickly? Of course. This, this points to celebrity power and spotlight and cachet. Ellen DeGeneres hogged the spotlight. She got all the press for those Kennedy Center honors. I read about her repeatedly. I had no idea that, that Diana Ross or Tom Hanks were honored the same day. You mean the, uh, the, the Medal of Freedom? The Medal of Freedom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Medal of Freedom. And I think that's because Obama talked about why, why Ellen DeGeneres was on the list. And he said, you have to remember years that how brave it was for her to come out when she came out 20 years ago. And he got a little weepy. He did. Yeah. And so I think that's why, why that drew the headline. Well, I'll say this about that. Ellen DeGeneres has a fantastic publicist, by the way. Anything that she does it usually gets some sort of recognition. Some of, much of, because of just who she is. But I also think she has a great publicity department behind she does. her. And, you know, De Niro, for instance... He barely shows his face in public. He's a very private right. person. I, I think we saw him on uh, Colbert a couple of uh, weeks ago. He's he's promoting a, a film, and he was very entertaining, but he looked sort of uncomfortable. And, you know, they have to go out and right. promote their films. But um, I, it doesn't surprise me that Ellen DeGeneres got, got most of the press on this uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom. And poor Diana Ross. She did a concert here in Chicago. No reviews. Appears at the White House. Does she get in a photo? No. The poor woman. Well, and she's, she's older. I mean, Diana Ross has been around since we were, you know, in first grade, I think. Uh, probably. Yeah, at least that. Speaking of being around since first grade, pray, eat raw eggs, stay single. Those are the keys to a long life, according to Emma Murano. And we've talked about Emma before. Uh, Emma uh, celebrated her 117th birthday this week, and she is the world's oldest person. Wow. <laughs> and the only person uh, known and had been born in the 1800s. Really? Yeah, yeah. She's a national treasure in her native Italy, uh, where her birthday was broadcast on live state TV. Can you <laughs> Journalists, relatives, well-wishers all crowded into her cozy apartment in the northern town of Palanza, uh, where uh, Murano recently uh, received, sorry, plenty of gifts and cheek kisses. Uh, she only interrupted the festivities once to ask, is there anything to eat here? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> After the party, Murano took a well-deserved nap. Wow. Fantastic. 117 years old. What do we think of raw eggs? I th that can't be good for you. I have a raw egg virtually every morning. Do you? In a, in a smoothie, yeah. Uh, do you not care for these? I just don't think it's healthy. I mean, how do we know that those, don't you need to cook them? Some people would say so, but I, I think it's perfectly fine to, to have a raw egg. 
I wouldn't have a dozen of them in a glass like Rocky does. But, in the but film. you have one every morning in a smoothie. Pretty much, yeah. I never knew this about you. Yeah, and, and it sort of sort of makes the smoothie a little frothy, okay. a little oh. foamy. It gives it a nice texture and a, and a great taste. I'm starting my own list here. Things I never knew about Gary. All right, January eighth is circled on my calendar. Why? Golden Globes night. Oh. Uh, here you are uh, again um, a year later on the spot, Roscoe. We're going to look at the Golden Globe nominees, and uh, I'm going to get your take on them. Uh, we're not going to go through all of the categories because right. there's just far, far too many, but we'll go through a few. I have not seen a majority of these films, and I'll, I'll be right up front about that. It's just, well, we've... Well, we've, it's it been, they all opened yesterday, which is probably yeah, why Yeah, you many of them, them opened yesterday. Best Picture, Drama, Hacksaw Ridge... Nope. Hell or High Water? Nope. Lion? No. Manchester by the Sea? Ding, 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 ding. Winner. <laughs> or, Winner by a mile. Or Moonlight? Oh, I, it'll be Manchester by the Sea. You Mo- think? Moonlight's too progressive for the Golden Globes. Really? Yeah. Even for the Golden Globes? Yes. Hmm. And you should also, I also should point out the first two films, Hacksaw Ridge and... Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Which I did see. You did, yeah, and oh, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was a wonderful movie. But but they both did very poor, poorly at the box office. Barely yeah. ran. I'm sure they never made it. And is what I always talk about. It never made it outside of the major cities. Good reviews, just never made it outside yeah. of the major cities. All right, best performance by an actress, uh, motion picture drama, Amy Adams for Arrival, no, which it, I did see, and she's wonderful she? in it. Uh, Jessica Chastain for Miss Sloan, which. Shocks me because that movie did not do well, well in, I, I in the think press. It's, it's just opening. Yeah, right? it, I, I've read some advanced stuff. Isabel Hubert in L, uh, Ruth Nega in Loving, and I, I, I'm going to guess that this is your your pick. Natalie Portman and Jackie. Yes, that's who you think. Yes, and I'm not a huge Natalie Portman fan. In fact, I think the only thing I've ever seen Natalie Portman in that I remember is the previous film for which she won an Academy Award. You know, I saw Jackie and it's um she's she's unbelievable because it's about someone who's going through incredible grief, incredible shock, at the same time she's trying to be a mother and hold it together. And she's also thinking, oh my God, I have to cement my husband's place in history and the best way to do that is how we proceed in the in the next few days and what the funeral looks like and how I comport myself to the press. So she's facing many, many challenges, some of which she deals with by downing copious quantities of vodka. Wow. Which I'm not sure if that's true, if Jackie Kennedy really did that. Well, I would think that they did a little research and they weren't just having her drink vodka well, for... who for, knows? Who, you yeah. know, vodka leaves nothing on the breath. Well, they say. They say. They say. Mm-hmm. Um, how about... Wait, but I understand Isabel Uper. Yeah. Yeah. I understand she's phenomenal in that movie. And she's not a she she's sixty two or sixty three. Yeah. Has been around. I mean she's she's been making she's movies. She's a national treasure a long in, Fr- time. in France. Yeah. Although that movie as well, I'm gonna have to go on a search and rescue mission to try to find uh, one in the theaters. I, I have no it, idea it, it where I would see this. It is opened and it's gone already. I, I have no it, idea where I would see yeah, that. You're going you're gonna to see it if we befriend someone who gets Golden Globe screeners. Now, how about the omission of uh, Viola Davis for Fences on this list? Well, that is a tactical maneuver on the part of her studio. She has been, they've been promoting her in the supporting category. Mm. And as you may remember, and I'm sure 
one or two of our listeners will know, when Fences opened on Broadway, originally, Mary Alice. Mm -hmm. Mary Alice won the Supporting Tony Award for the original production. When it was done again on Broadway, same role, no changes to the script, Viola Davis was nominated for and won Best Actress Actress. in a play. So it's it's like the same that happened with Dreamgirls. Best Actress in a Musical, Best Supporting for the for the movie adaptation. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a, a maneuver on their part because that they knew that the competition would be rough in Best Actress. Although, uh, based on the reviews, I think she might have won in the Best Actress category. Very, very likely. And, All right, and, so, far and, we and, have Ma- so far we have Manchester by the Sea and Natalie Portman. Those are your two picks so far. Yes. All right, let's move on to Best Actor uh, in a Motion Picture Drama. Casey Affleck and, uh, in Manchester by the Sea. Uh, Joel Edgerton in Loving. Andrew Garfield in Hacksaw Ridge, Vigo Mortensen in Captain Fantastic. <laughs> Weird. That's crowded. That's so out of left field. Yes. And uh, of course, Denzel Washington in Fences. Right. What do you think? I think it's a tough call. I think Casey Affleck is really good, although he didn't blow me away. And I'm not sure that any other actor would have been that he's better than anyone else would have been if they had done the role. Mm. And, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a role in which you feel sorry for the performer based on what happens to him. Mm-hmm. So it's more about the character that he plays and the circumstances mm. rather than what he does with the role. Mm. So your, the, the your argu- pick is... Oh, God, I don't know what to do. I'm, 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 I'm going to go with Denzel Washington. All right, Denzel. We'll see. We'll see in a couple of weeks. Just a couple more best uh, motion picture musical or comedy. La La Land. Uh, I, I, I agree. I'm not even going to read the rest yes. of them. <laughs> um, and best performance by an actress in a motion picture musical or comedy. Uh, Annette Bening in 20th Century Woman, Lily Collins in Rules Don't Apply, Haley Steinfeld in The Edge of Seventeen, Emma Stone in La La Land, and Meryl Streep in Florence Foster Jenkins. I would love to see Meryl Streep when I loved that movie. <laughs> would that be like her 100th Golden Globe or oh, something? Like something like her ninth. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> All I know about La La Land is, I, as you know, the other day I went to a double feature, and I don't know why Booth One has been cut off from getting our Academy screeners this year, but we have to talk about it uh, off microphone. Yeah. One of the, the things about La La Land is it's supposed to bring back, you know, the golden age of the Technicolor musical, although there have been some caveats in the reviews, and I stuck my head in to look at the movie for about five seconds, and I realized Emma Stone's hair was a nightmare. It was unkempt, and there were strands of hair out of place. Did Julie Andrews ever look like that on The Sound of Music? No. 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 Did Audrey Hepburn look like that? No. No. Doris Day? Never. No. If you can't have a good hairdo, stay out of the way of the cameras. Don't do musicals. I'm with you. I'm going to digress a moment here. I'm going to try to calm down a little. Um, uh, Producer Mark Platt has uh, set up another tuneful project at uh, Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment uh, Mark Platt uh, was a force behind Wicked uh, on Broadway, and he is developing an original movie musical starring Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig. This is fascinating. I'm not sure you've read about this. It is based on a book called Everything's Coming Up Profits, The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. Um, this is being written by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman uh, of Hairspray and Smash fame. 
Um, it focuses on corporate branding musicals made by the hundreds um, from the 1950s to the early 1980s by companies like Coca-Cola and Westinghouse and Chevrolet, and they were mostly played at conventions and business meetings. But they would hire top-flight composers and writers to put together these little musicals for their uh, conventions. For instance, uh, Go Fly a Kite, a convention recording commissioned by General Electric in the 1960s, was uh, a song that kicked off this project. It's the song about a leprechaun who takes a utility executive and his wife back in time to get advice from Benjamin Franklin, and it was written by John Kander, and Fred Ebb, right. just as their Broadway show Cabaret was hitting the boards in New York. This is a fantastic idea. And it's going to have, as, as I said, Will Ferrell and uh, Kristen Wiig are going to star in this. And I suspect it's going to be them putting on a corporate musical. And are they original songs? Or are they pulling them from... It, they are from... original songs by Mark Shaman and Scott okay. Whitman. And I'm ashamed to say I was completely unaware of this. Uh, I, I was too. I, I, I read this and said, how come I don't know about these yeah. 1950s, 60s, 70s musicals that were small and written by uh, fantastic composers? They did them one night or two nights, and that was the end of it. Right. Now, now, once in a while at the nerd film convention I go to, they will, they'll come up with um, a Buster Keaton industrial film that he made in the 50s that no one knew about and someone found on a shelf somewhere in someone's home. But that's similar, where they'd hired old movie stars to do these kind of industrials. Yep. But that's, I didn't know they also did original musicals. One more Golden Globe nominee, ah, which sorry. we'll go back to um, for a second. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture musical or comedy. Uh, Colin Farrell in The Lobster. Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Uh, Hugh Grant and Florence Foster Jenkins, uh, Jonah Hill in War Dogs, and Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool. I think it's going to be Ryan Gosling. I think it's Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, and La La Land. And they're going to sweep the Golden Globe Awards. Fantastic. I'm writing and, that down. Unless Meryl Streep sneaks in, but I don't think so. January 8th. Yeah, I think Emma Stone should be punished for her bad hair. Uh. No, no response. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you, you mentioned I, Julie Andrews just just uh, a few minutes ago. Did you uh, you heard that Dick Van Dyke is going to actually be playing a small bit part in the uh, Mary Poppins musical uh, on television? Is it NBC no, that does it's that? It's a movie movie. Oh, the movie movie. It's a movie movie. And Lin Manuel Miranda apparently yes. is playing Jack. What's he famous for? He wrote something. Uh, mm. Franklin Washington. Franklin. <laughs> Uh, earlier in the last uh, week, the uh, Library of Congress announced its new list of films that are going to be recognized as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I'm just going to read a few of them. Ball of Fire, ah. screwball comedy. Barbara Stanwyck, 1947, hilarious. The Birds. Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. The Blackboard Jungle. Oh. Glenn Ford. Glenn Ford, I think. Yeah. The Breakfast Club, East of Eden, uh, Funny Girl, 
The Lion King animated Disney <laughs> movie, The oh, Lion King. that's important because we really need to spend federal dollars making sure we have a good print of that film. Don't 1937's Lost Horizon. Have you seen Lost Horizon I with have. the all that added footage that they found? Yes. And it's really creepy and weird to watch at times because <laughs> where they got these pieces of film from and they stuck them in as best as they could, as best as they knew how. Uh, they don't really advance the plot all that much, but it's very cool to watch. But it's 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 a little jarring. Are you talking about the quality of the pieces? I, I am. Yeah. yeah, I just and that film was restored thirty years ago. Yeah, I would imagine that if they went back and tinkered with it, they could fix it up a little. Yeah, it wouldn't be quite as jarring. 1987's The Princess Bride, um, 1998's Rushmore. Uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. Oh, from 1928. Good. Buster Keaton. Yeah, Thelma and Louise. Mm. Not my favorite movie, but I can understand why it's on here. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, A Walk in the Sun, and one more uh, animated feature, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh. Hey, do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about I Am My Own Wife? Yes. Yes, I, I have a piece of clarification that I want to just throw out there in addition to what we already talked about, I mentioned uh, the actress Delia Krop, who played Charlotte, mm. the, the lead role in this. She is a transgender actress. And here's how the whole project came about. She thought that a transgender actress should play this transgender part of Charlotte for the very, very first time ever. And um, she discussed this basic idea with Andrew Volkoff, who's the uh, artistic director of uh, About Face Theater. And they took this idea that her primary concern was to have this important trans story told by a transgender artist. And also, by playing only Charlotte, which was her idea to just play Charlotte, there's no need for that same actor to step back and forth over the transgender line, an important consideration for today's audiences, um, like it or not, who are still learning that trans is not merely performative, but an authentic expression uh, of, of a real identity. So they took this idea to Doug Wright, the playwright, Remember, we were talking about right. how he had expanded the play to four people. Not necessarily true. What happened was they approached him and said, Delia wants to play just Charlotte. Can we have other actors or actor play the other roles? And he agreed, but said that the script could not be changed. So they used the existing script and just gave lines to other actors, and they introduced uh, uh, an actor to play Doug Wright. Oh, so there was no Have you ever heard of this happening? I've never heard of anything like this. This is unprecedented. Well, I think so. Yeah. Know, and there's, this all makes sense. We heard back from Delia, and she just wanted to have that piece of clarification um, oh. uh, done so that we could tell our listeners that... This was an idea that she came up with and that the playwright agreed to. So I think it's brilliant. I, 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 it's just yeah, I'm, unbelievable. I'm totally and, you know, this casting gives Charlotte a, a constant and palpable presence on the stage, not merely one in a, a kaleidoscope of characters flickering past. Um, this is her story. Uh, and she deserves that. Doug Wright agreed as long as no words and lines were altered or omitted. One other uh, theatrical experience that we had since our last podcast was we all went to 
a Connor McPherson play, The Weir. Not a new play. This play is, is been around. a couple of decades at least. I, I, I will say that I had a wonderful, wonderful time at this, and mostly because of the acting, um, which was, without exception, terrific. Uh, in fact, one of the great stage performances I've seen in lo these many years was given by Brad Armacost in the role of Jack. Um, this play is really about, well, it's ghost stories. Uh, it's a bunch of people who meet in a bar one windy night in Ireland and most of them are men. There's four men and one woman and the men proceed to tell kind of ghost stories that may be true, may not be true. They may be just making them up to scare her or to scare each other, or you know, the Irish are known as great storytellers. You never can tell sort of what's part of true. The supernatural. Though. Yeah, and I remember before the play started, as the lights were going down, you turned to me and said, this isn't just going to be a play with just monologues, is it? <laughs> I didn't know how to tell you that, sort of, but they're not monologues. No, they're stories. No. They're stories. And... This Brad Armacost was mesmerizing. Not for one second was he ever unreal or out of character. I, I actually thought this guy had just walked in from the windy plains of Ireland into this real bar. And we also have to set up. This was at the Den Theater in Chicago. The Den Theater is a complex called the Den Theater because there are a series of bar areas with couches and comfortable chairs that look like dens. And upstairs, upstairs alone, there are five theaters. And this play was in a theater that seated 45 people. So it's a tiny little space. It, it was like watching a performance in your own living room mm -hmm. or in your own den. And uh, we, inexplicably, <laughs> well done. we inexplicably had three seats together right in the center of the auditorium where we were sort of Separated. We were on the end of an aisle, uh, and the, the seating was configured in this kind of interesting U-shape, because that was right. just the way they could get the chairs in, and we were at the long, yeah. the short end of the U, yeah. and so there was no one in front of us between us and the actors, and we had leg room for days. Right. Right. And, it and was nobody, perfect. Nobody to a right or left, and no did encroachment. Have, did a couple of people behind us. Way. One guy was fidgeting for some of it. Uh, yes, he was. I've he, turned around was, a couple of times. He was crinkling his goddamn water bottle. He was bottle. crinkling something. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. And, and, he, and he in what is one of the more quiet plays you'll ever see, yes. it's, it's a mood play, and it's one that you just have to kind of give in to the spirit of. And, well... That, that was sort of a pun because they're talking about ghosts and spirits mm -hmm. and you don't know whether it's true and what's going to be the scary part and you just have to release yourself to that. And if you're crinkling your water bottle, I don't think you're really in the mood. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm sure he was, the man was completely oblivious to what he was doing um, and, and he stopped after a while. But I, I talked to someone last week who had friends coming into Chicago from Texas who come to Chicago to see theater. They don't go to New They say, well, we'll go to sh New York to see whatever the big fabulous show is. But if we really want to see theater and good acting, we come to Chicago because it's the real deal. Yeah. And this, this show was the real deal. Yeah. 45 people squeezed into theater on a Friday night watching world-class acting. There was a moment when I... The, the staging's very seamless and doesn't call attention to itself. Yeah. And the actress, the female lead... Sarah Wellington. Sarah... Sarah sits for much, much of the show. And, and then suddenly, um, when it's her moment, 
she's all eyes are on her. It, it, she's up and move, just the way that they got her around the stage. It was one of those great performances of stillness. Yes. You know, you don't always have to be doing something on stage, even when other people are not talking, in order to make yourself interesting. She was fascinating from the beginning because, well, mostly just because of who her character is, and also she's the only woman in a bar full of men. So right there, yes. <laughs> right there, she's got she's pulling a little focus. Yes. Uh, and our friend Dan Waller is in this play, and he was wonderful, wonderful. You said he looked great in that suit. Boy, some people are just made for the stage. She mm. had a great face for the stage, and yeah. great. I went and and this sounded creepy, but I. I wanted to say, Boyd, you have nice teeth. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he has he great does. teeth, and he was wearing the suit that looked like it was tailor-made for him. Yeah. Boy, just perfect, just perfect, and yeah. looked, you knew exactly everything about his character the moment he walked on stage, from the way he was coiffed and costumed. Yeah. And I, I directed himself. Dan Waller. I cast him in uh, um, Coast of Chicago, what, a dozen years ago now, almost, um, and uh, he was... Terrific. He played the young Stuart Dybeck character, author, uh, growing up uh, in the neighborhood with a bunch of his uh, teenage friends. And he was not only a delight to work with, but the consummate professional and really, really good. So this play, as uh, Roscoe has said, is being done at the Den Theater here in Chicago uh, in Wicker Park, a smallish space. And not all that easy to find, but it is right on a, a large main road. But um, it's it's fairly disguised. Unfortunately, they don't have a big sign. Uh, they need a big marquee, and it's running uh, now through January twenty second. So, oh. uh, if you uh, can hear uh, the sound of my voice and you're anywhere near the Chicago area, uh, I definitely recommend the Weir. You will not be disappointed. Produced by the Irish Theater of Chicago. Roscoe, I feel like we should play as this as this year winds down a little chat pack. All right, I'm going to hold these out for I'm you. Game. If you don't like the question, just say mm, no, and we'll move on. All right. <clears throat> Considering all the big screen movies that you have ever seen, which one do you believe had the greatest emotional impact on you? When they say big screen, I, I interpret that to mean big movie. Like epics. <laughs> well, I, I think you can. <laughs> I probably would have to say at this moment, Lawrence of Arabia. Really? Yeah. I well, I will. I will say that's the ultimate big screen movie, and that you've never seen Lawrence of Arabia unless you've seen it a good print on a big screen. That's true. I don't know that it had a big emotional impact on me. I understand. But what I, I I'm going to go with a different one, and I think this counts. Gone with the wind. Sure. Gone with the Wind choked me up as a 12-year-old boy as my frightened mother escorted me from the theater. <laughs> I think I was 11 when I saw Gone with the Wind. And it was, it was roadshowed. You know, they, they, they turned... Do you remember this? Gone with the Wind was filmed, you know, like all movies were filmed in the 30s in, in a mostly square uh, format. format. Yeah. And in the 60s, they got the great idea to turn it into a widescreen epic, which meant they chopped off the bottom and the top of the film. And this was the only way you could see the movie for years. It wasn't until mm. the 1990s that they finally put it back together. But I remember seeing this at the Rialto Theater in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, where it was reserved seats only. And it cost $2 to sit on the main floor and $1.50 to sit in the balcony. 
So, of course, we sat in the balcony. <laughs> My whole life was about being poor and having to sit in balconies as a child. Yes. Which is, which is why I'm now proudly in booth one. Exactly. But I, was, but I was terribly broken up by Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Let's play another one. All right. If you could take any job for just one month, what job would you like to have? Assume that you would have the skills and know to perform adequately. Assume that I would have the skills in order to perform the job adequately? Yeah, and knowledge to perform adequately. So you'd just do any job in the world for one month. Wow. Hmm. I'll go. I'm thinking, but you go. President of the United States. Wow. Absolutely. Really? Yes. Hmm. Yes, boy, I'd free up purse strings left and right. I'd fund this, I'd fund that. I'd cut this, I'd cut that. I'd go to France. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to Paris, the President of the United States, Roscoe. (laughs) I, I think the reason I wouldn't want to be president is because so many people... Would all, may may adore you, but so many people would also loathe you. Not you personally, mm. but I mean, it is the ultimate high-profile job, and you just cannot please more than fifty-one percent of the population, and the rest of them are all against you. Um, I I, 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 you, I don't think anything in politics would interest me. I think if you could explain me. things really well, you could get everyone on your side. Hmm. How's it's that? it's very possible. Yeah. Hmm. I think I would like to be a jet fighter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Who would relax by golfing with Arnold Palmer <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> I think you'd like to be a professional golfer. I, I, I could do that. It would, it would sadden me to only do that for a month, though. Um, I think I could do jet fighter pilot for a month and be satisfied, right. but... Golf is a game of a lifetime. You really have to kind of commit to it. So would you like to you know, break the sound barrier? Oh, without question. Like fly over foreign countries? Shoot things. Drop bombs? Yeah, shoot things. That's fantastic. <laughs> All, of course, on the orders of my commander-in-chief, <laughs> Roscoe. Roscoe. <laughs> <laughs> Should we play one more? Oh, Absolutely. If you were told that you could watch only one television show a week for the next 12 months, which show would you choose to watch? Is this, is, this impl- is this implying that it's on every week or that you could tune in to anything you've ever wanted to watch ever? Uh, let's go with the latter. Ever? Yeah, I mean, all I, I, I can't tell you more than what it says, Gary. <laughs> all I know is what it says. Well, Mr. President, I thought perhaps you might speak clearly and explain it to me so I could understand it. If you were told that you could watch only one television show a week for the next 12 months, which show would you choose to watch? Well, I have three. You can't have three. You can only have one. Well, give us the three and then boil it down. The original Star Trek, Project Runway, or Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock. Really? Yeah. Could watch those forever. But I'm going to have to go with Project Runway. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally enamored of that reality series and seen every episode. Uh, so if they could be new episodes once every week for a year, 
well, that would be astounding, first of all. That would be a very long competition, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be great. How about you? Such a hard question. Yeah, I really like Modern Family. That's the only show I watch on TV. Hmm. And it always makes me howl with laughter. Hmm. And for some shows, I think like I Love Lucy, well, I, I can replay those in my head. I don't really need to see them again. Right, right. I would think you would be the same way about Star Trek. I mean, how many more times do you need to see some of those episodes? True. Jacques Hughes. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Perry Mason, the original. With Raymond Burr. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. of course, you know that Della Street was played by Barbara Hale. Sure. I once met her in California a few years ago, mm. and she was thrilled that I was from DeKalb, thrilled that I knew she was from DeKalb. Oh, we can't use that word anymore, can we? Oh, she's from DeKalb. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah we well, just was, have to bring the bell. She was delighted I was from DeKalb. It meant a lot to her, and it meant a lot that I introduced myself to her. Mm. And we had great pictures taken together. That's such a great going back. To she seems episode. like she would be a delightful person. She was delightful. You know, she won an Emmy Award for Perry Mason at hmm. some point. So you wouldn't want to watch Green Acres? Well, Green Acres... I mentioned Very Green wonderful. Acres as a sort of a, a preview of uh, what we're going to talk about in just a minute. I, I meant to go back, and um, since this is our 49th episode, and we're about to do number 50 soon, I meant to go back and pick out all 49 of our Kiss of Death features that we'd done, but I, I didn't quite get around to that. So I just went back to this year and uh, took a look at the maybe the top 50 people that we have lost uh, this year. Uh, Leon Russell and Merle Haggard and Natalie Cole in the music mm. industry. Actor Alan Rickman, Dan Haggerty, uh, Glenn Fry of the Eagles, uh, Abe Vigoda, Harper Lee, Bud Collins, the uh, famous uh, tennis uh, sportscaster, Leonard Cohen, Nancy Reagan, George Martin, Gary Shandling, Patty Duke. We did a whole segment on Patty Duke, didn't we? Prince. Wow. Holy cow. Morley Safer. Muhammad Ali. Bill Cunningham, who was a New York uh, photographer. Gary Marshall. Gene Wilder. Uh, Robert Vaughn, actor. Uh, Gwen Eiffel. Florence Henderson. And Alan Thicke, just recently. And why I mention Green Acres is because our Kiss of Death segment today is um, her sister, Zsa Zsa. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I just insert a wow Yeah. after that list? And then as we walked into the studio today, we received word that George Michael had died. George Michael. At 53. Yeah, that, that's shocking. Shocking. Yeah. I was a big fan. Were you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Even from the Wham! days. Well, Zsa Zsa Gabor, the Hungarian actress whose self-parodying glamour and revolving door marriages to millionaires. <laughs> That's so great. Her revolving door marriages to millionaires put a luster of American celebrity on a long but only modestly successful career. Yeah, she was married at least eight times. Of course, she called everybody Dalink. Um, flaunting a, a diamonds and fur lifestyle abetted by gossip columnists and tabloid headline writers. 
Um, she played the coiffed platinum femme fatale in plunging necklines in dozens of film and television roles. Well, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you one of them. Um, Moulin Rouge? <laughs> Moulin Rouge is one. Very, very good. That's excellent. She also played like a bartender or tavern owner in A Touch of Evil, the Orson Welles piece. She was the last surviving uh, Gabor sister. Her career get, began with the title of Miss Hungry in 1936 uh, and was still going strong into the 1990s and she outlasted those of her sisters Ava and Magda a girl must marry for love and keep on marrying until she finds it <laughs> of course. <laughs> she once said her husbands included a Turkish diplomat, the hotel heir Conrad Hilton, the actor George Sanders. Are you aware of this? She married George Sanders, was married to him from 1949 to 1954, and he later married Magda. Yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? And then he committed suicide. <sighs> and in his suicide note, he said, I'm sorry, I was just bored. Or worn out by the Gabor sisters. <laughs> by the Gabor sisters. She also married an industrialist, an oil magnate, a toy designer, a divorce lawyer, and a man often referred to in the news media as the Duke of Saxony. who made that up completely. He was not the Duke of Saxony. He had no royal lineage or was the inheritor of anything. It's just what he called himself. Those were the days. Yes, Yes, you could call yourself Lord Roscoe. The Duke of DeKalb. (laughs) Another marriage that nobody counted. A case of bigamy at sea with a has-been Mexican actor lasted only a day and was annulled. She got married to this guy while she was on this cruise and this sort of aging Mexican actor. But she was still married to somebody else. Oh, my God. It Um, wasn't Pepe, was it? It was not Pepe. It was not Pepe. Remember this one, though? In 1989, she was arrested for slapping a police officer who'd pulled her over in traffic for a violation and found that her license had expired and that she had an open vodka bottle in her car. <laughs> Which was a Rolls-Royce, I believe. It was a Rolls-Royce <laughs> Cornish convertible. And she's quoted in court as saying, you just cannot drive a Rolls-Royce in Beverly Hills anymore because they have it in for you. <laughs> <laughs> as you mentioned, she was in Moulin Rouge in 1952 and Lily in 1953. Wow. And I'll I'll correct this. She played a nightclub manager in Touch of Evil. uh, And the same year as a sexy alien in Queen of Outer Space. A camp favorite about virile American astronauts landing on a planet populated by scantily clad women. Now, I've never seen this film. Have you seen this film? we must get a copy. But you know of it. I know of it, yes. She also played a, a character called Minerva on the 1960s Batman series. Um, whose mineral spa fleeced swells by extracting secrets from their brains. <laughs> Minerva. Her name was Minerva. That's a character that must not have cut on. Uh, she uh, uh, published four books in her lifetime. Jaja Gabor, My Story. Jaja's Complete Guide to Men. <laughs> Something you might want to read. How to Catch a Man, How to Keep a Man, How to Get Rid of a Man. She wrote that in 1970. And One Lifetime is Not Enough, which she wrote in 1991. In early 2009, Miss Gabor discovered that she had joined... This is, this is not even funny. It's sort of tragic. I feel bad for any of these oh. people. That she had joined a long list of celebrities who were victimized by Bernie Madoff. 
No. Yeah, uh, the financial swindler whose worldwide Ponzi scheme um, cost investors tens of billions. Her lawyer uh, estimates that she lost at least $7 million and possibly as much as $10 million. You know, Kevin Bacon was also uh, victimized by this same uh, thing. Badly. Born Sari Gabor in Budapest. I like to say it that way, Budapest. Budapest. Mm -hmm. In 1917, she always gave a birth date of February 6th or 7th, but she never gave the year, although it was confirmed <laughs> by her attorney um, that it was, in fact, 1917. She grew up in... This is crazy. I always wondered how the Gabor sisters became the Gabor sisters. Uh, grew up in relative prosperity, the second of three daughters. They were all raised for stardom. Uh, the sisters attended private schools and were chauffeured to acting, dancing, music, and fencing classes. <laughs> can, can you imagine Jaja and Magda in a fencing class? Um, on the eve of World War II, Miss Gabor and her mother and her sisters emigrated to the United States. Magda, who acted on radio briefly and helped her mother operate a chain of, of jewelry boutiques, uh, she passed away in 97, as did her mother. Uh, Ava, who was best known for her role in the aforementioned Green Acres in the 1960s, and whom the public sometimes confused with Jaja. I always got them confused. I can yeah. never keep them straight. Um, she passed away in 1995. There were also notorious affairs with Porfino Rubrosa, the Dominican playboy, and with Rafael Trujillo, the son of the Dominican dictator. <laughs> she had quite the life. Uh, telling her tales of marital joys and woes, Miss Gabor confided, quote, I have learned that not diamonds, but divorce lawyers are a girl's best friend. Crazy. Bless her Crazy hearts. life. All the Gabors are gone now. I'm oh. so impressed that you knew she was in Moulin Rouge with Jose Ferrer. Yeah. I have a couple of things. What, what you, you referred to fleetingly is the fact that their mother only died less than 20 years ago. Mm. Jolie Gabor lived forever. And I remember at one point reading about her, and it said, her age is unknown. According to some sources, she is 92 or 97 or, unbelievably, 108 years old. <laughs> <laughs> A Touch of Evil is crazy because it's filled with, you know, Marlena Dietrich is also in A Touch yeah, of Evil. Yeah. And um, help me out, Psycho, Janet Lee. Janet Lee, Charlton and Heston. And they're always, all the women are always in negligee. And I, we studied that film in college. I took a seminar on, on Wells and Hitchcock. And the professor talked a lot about the, the, there's a trash motif, a motif of garbage and, and things falling apart in a touch of evil. And so I raised my hand and I said, well, don't you think the, the, the way these women are dressed in the negligees and that they all seem to be prostitutes or loose women ties in with that motif? Yeah. And the professor just stared at me blankly for an awfully long time and said, does anyone else have a comment they would like to make? <laughs> I think that's very observant. Yes. And I want to talk for a moment as, I, as a child. I thought that Green Acres was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Me too. And I, I have two memories from that. One is the fact that they, they lived in Hooterville, right? And she could never pronounce it right, so she always called it Hootersville. She was, she was sent to take driving lessons, and she looked down at, at the dashboard, and it says P-R-N-D-L, Park Reverse Neutral Drive Low. And she goes, 
What does prunundal mean? <laughs> uh, oh, that is the height of which she's right up there with Noel Power. <laughs> Please tell me, what does prunundal mean? Yeah, yeah. Very funny. And they're all gone now. And I yeah. remember when I was a teenager, they appeared in Arsenic and Old Lace at the Arlington Park Theater. Wow. And we had a college professor who was the meanest woman in the world. Who appeared? Eddie Albert and... No, uh, no, no. The Gabor sisters. Oh, all three of uh, them. Uh, the, the two of them. Oh. Zsa uh, Zsa and... Ava. Ava. Appeared in Arsenic and Old Lace at the, Arling- the, the, the lamented and long gone Arlington Park Theater in the suburbs here in Chicago. And we had a college professor my freshman year who's extremely intellectual and not to be trifled with and condescending and and cold and hard and harsh. And she came back after Christmas vacation one year and she goes, oh my God, I just saw the Gabor sisters in Arsenic and Old Ice in the Arnold and Oh, it was so much fun and so exciting. <laughs> it's like, what, what happened to you? <laughs> well, well, those are your um, Zsa Zsa memories. Yeah, oh God, no. Yeah, and the and Gabor the people sisters. people will be hard to talk about 20 years from now because there'll be no record of them left. I wanted to uh, mention to our listeners, Roscoe's going on sabbatical for a little while. Yes. And we'll be having some guest hosts, and we'll have other guests sitting in on the show for a number of weeks. So um, don't worry. Roscoe will be back in full form. I don't exactly know what he's doing. I like to think that he's going to Kenya to commune with the elephants. (laughs) Yes. But we wish him well. We'll be thinking of him, and his presence will always be felt here on Booth One, regardless of uh, who's in the uh, who's in the chair. It'll always be your chair. It'll always be my chair. Well, like us on Facebook, everyone. Follow us on Twitter. Email us at a list at uh, booth one dot com. We would love to hear your questions, feedback, and your comments. Uh, for Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski, and signing off for a while, Roscoe saying uh, thanks for listening and uh, so long until next time. <laughs> <laughs>